Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of ANC's Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. Alright, so for today we're going to talk about uh, the this the diplomacy under President Rodrigo Duterte. Some people would like to believe that uh, it's more of a contradiction in terms because uh, if you put Duterte side by side the term diplomacy, there seems to be a, a contradiction. Now, to help us better understand the kind of diplomacy that uh, we've been having under the new administration, under the administration of President Rodrigo Duterte, we have with us for today Professor Renato De Castro. He teaches international studies at De La Salle University and is also a fellow at the ADR Institute for International and Strategic Studies. Thank you very much, Professor, for joining us today. Hello. Thank you and giving me the chance to express my view regarding this very important issue. Okay. So Duterte Diplomacy, let's talk about this. Uh, help us understand uh, the, the rhyme or reason behind this. Um, how do you describe Duterte's type of diplomacy more than three years after he assumed office? Well, first we have to identify what is uh, a diplomacy. Diplomacy pertains to the art of communication uh, between uh, or among sovereign states. Usually we talk about diplomacy as you use flowery words, no? It's also the art of telling someone to go to hell in a manner that he would look forward to that trip. <laughs> Without without offending him. <laughs> yes, of course, an uh, element of flattery, element of uh, using euphemism, coded words. Well, in his case, I would say his diplomacy is direct and extremely blunt mm-hmm. without uh, uh, you know any constraints on telling you what is his message. H- how much of a president's diplomacy is affected or has to do with his personal demeanor? I think it's mat- really a matter of his uh, personality. Uh, he's a populist leader who wants to be uh, to be able to relate with the ordinary people. So he's in a way very much anti uh, anti elite. Because when you talk about diplomacy, you're talking about professional diplomats. You're talking about statespersons, statesmen, who have the sort of demeanor that uh, this profession, this art, is among the elite, the cosmopolitan elite. I don't see that in him. Now, if you're a member of the Foreign Service serving under the Duterte administration, I can only assume how difficult your job Very is. Very challenging. I think it's the most challenging period for the career diplomats of the Department of Foreign Affairs. I- in what sense? Well, I heard that he doesn't follow protocol uh, regarding security matters. No, he would go directly to his mass, especially, of course, he's abroad. Uh, his uh, concern is not uh, the relationship of, uh, let's say, the Philippines and that host government, he would go directly to the OFW, OFWs. But, but, but of course, we know the context of uh, the president being the innocent president is supposed to be the chief architect of the country's foreign policy. You always hear about it. But, but, but in this case, um, is this uh, policy uh, actually working? Uh, first of all, when you talk about, yeah, he might be the chief architect of uh, the country's foreign policy, but you have to understand the larger picture. Now, we're talking about the entire government. Well, of course, when we talk about initiatives, signing agreements, it's basically the prerogative of the president, that's the executive. But Congress also has a role. Congress has to conduct inquiry. Uh, Congress has to conduct, of course, uh, reviews of foreign policy. Then, of course, when it comes to question regarding uh, the legalities of treaties, then, of course, you have the Supreme Court. So uh, we have to always look at it as a, entire, a work of the entire government, not just the executive. Or, although I have to agree 
the executive has the leading role when it comes to foreign policy. But, but in short, the president is not the government. Yes, he's not. He yes. heads the administration, but Plus, the government is much, so much larger. Plus, of course, when we talk about the executive, you have there, of course, the executive uh, agencies, like the Department of Foreign Affairs, who are supposed to provide advice. You have the National Security Council that's supposed to coordinate the, the government security and foreign policies. You have also, of course, the, uh, the role of the armed forces of the Philippines, the intelligence agencies. So it's not just the president. The president has to consult, has to seek the advice of those uh, executive agencies. Mm. Now, often this, uh, this style of diplomacy by the president, as you mentioned, is very direct, if not crass. Uh, but, but those who are observing him uh, say that uh, it has been very much pro-Beijing. Ah, oh, yes, uh, of course, yeah, yeah. At the same time, very anti-West, in particular anti-United States. Now, is this dichotomy um, a, a good representation of the type of diplomacy that Duterte has? Or uh, it's more, or is, is, is this diplomacy more sophisticated than it appears? Well, you have to link diplomacy, which is an instrument, to his overall foreign policy. It's in, already indicated no, as early as October 2016 when he went to Beijing that his foreign policy direction, I'm using the term foreign policy direction, is to be independent from the United States and from the West, but in a way leaning towards China, which will, of course, eventually lead to our dependence on China. And this is, of course, reflected in his diplomacy. Uh, he has... Uh, visited China almost five times, but uh, he has not visited any Western capital. The last chance he had that opportunity could, could have been his the special Australian ASEAN summit meeting in Sydney. He did not attend it. Mm. So I don't think he has uh, any inclination to visit any Western capital, Europe, the United States. So that is, in, you know, in a way, a reflection of his foreign policy, and of course, how he conducts his diplomacy, always directed towards China. But, but has this actually worked uh, to the Philippines' favor? Because there are those who also say that uh, by, by, by putting up this demeanor before the international stage, somehow Duterte has actually uh, triggered better support or more support from the West, meaning they, they're giving us more importance than they had been giving us prior to Duterte? I don't think that much importance. Uh, probably they're concerned that a Western, you know, a pro-Western country, historically we have that tradition ever since we became independent, even during the time of President Marcos. Uh, President Marcos was, of course, critical of the United States, but in the end he signed the, uh, the, uh, the uh, amendments for the military base agreement of 1947. Most of his visits, of course, have been directed towards Washington, D.C., but this is totally different. It's a total break from our tradition. So it caused concerns uh, um, uh, among the Western capital, even, even Tokyo. So okay. they have to react by trying to prevent him from making a total pivot to China. Mm. Not because they like him, but they have to do what they have to do. So in that sense, isn't he actually succeeding? Because these Western powers... Well, he caught the attention. Yeah. But whether uh, he would earn their respect is another matter. And uh, somehow, in reality, if, despite all the things that Duterte has said or has been saying against the West, in particular the United States, we know for a fact that the engagements between the Philippines and the United States, in particular when it comes to security and defense, have been continuing. Yes, not because of him, 
but despite him. Hmm. So uh, if we have the alliance still intact, I will give credit to Secretary Lorenzana, the Department of Defense and the Armed Forces of the Philippines, who were able to convince him that uh, you know if we break the alliance with the United States, it will have consequences on the uh, on our defense capabilities and of course on the armed forces of the Philippines. Is it because they're able to successfully convince him or uh, do you see somehow a disconnect between the president's verbal tirades or orders or statements against the United States and the the, the paperwork that do not come to support those pronouncements? Uh, yeah, in a way, yes. These things happen, you know. Yeah, right? these things happen, of course. But at the same time, uh, when, of course, the president made uh, those uh, that statement in Beijing, a separation, this really caused concern in the armed forces of the Philippines. And I, this is based on what I heard. They asked for a forum, a meeting with him, and tried to convince him and told him, what will be the consequences of a total separation from the United States? And I think afterward, the president clarified here. Clarified, clarified that yes, statement. That statement. After, of course, he was told that you know it will have consequences in terms of logistics, in terms of training, in terms of the security guarantee. But what really uh, uh, convinced the president that it's too early, premature to break our alliance with the United States is what happened in Marawi. Mm. When, of course... Uh, you have uh, the Armed Forces Philippines asking for assistance for, uh, from the United States Navy to provide reconnaissance support, sending a, P, uh, a P-8 Poseidon to basically monitor the communications among the Maute and the militants, and plus, of course, the uh, military equipment that was provided by the uh, United States that was used by the Armed Forces of Philippines, used. And even Australia helped. Even Australia provided uh, the, uh, a reconnaissance plane. Mm. So, so sabihin, despite uh, the, the president's pronouncements, you see that on the ground, this thing still, uh, it's still happening. They, they still work. They still work, especially when you talk about, for example, also Japanese assistance. He can get what he wants. But again, the point is, is he earning his uh, the respect? That's another matter. What do you think? Uh, I don't think so. This uh, this uh, this furious anti-American sentiment. Where do you think is this coming from? From the president himself. That demeanor, that attitude, where, where do you think that is coming from? I think from his experience when he was a mayor of Dabao, that he was criticized by the State Department uh, because of allegation that is linked with the uh, Dabao death squad. Plus, of course, his approach, and very unconventional. B- because if you ask the, the, the supporters of the president, uh, his advisors, about uh, the 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 demeanor of the president and his strategy in relation to other countries they always claim that uh, this is what the the president's independent uh, foreign policy is all about but as you mentioned it seems that uh, that independence only applies to the united states uh, and the, against the west against the west but then leaning towards uh, china and to a certain degree russia Mm-mm. which you know it's not uh, independence at all you're just basically changing your masters if i may say so uh, changing the, from the shifting from the United States, going into China, uh, going towards the China, I call that the Chinese embrace. But, but, but somehow they say that uh, it has also worked to the benefit of the Philippines in the sense that uh, uh, he was able to, to court more, more support, assistance from China. But of course, we have to go by the numbers, really. I don't think that's a forthcoming, the support. Uh, the support is basically in terms of diplomatic, but not necessarily in terms of uh, what he expected from China, in terms of pop Chinese public investment. Mm-hmm. Remember what happened in Beijing? Uh, after his visit uh, to Beijing in October 2016, when he came back here, he said, 
I got about $26 billion in terms of commitments and pledges. Up to now, we haven't seen a single cent of that money seeing the daylight. And how about the things that the president or the Philippines might have uh, given up? Yeah, of in course, the in terms of uh, 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 adopting what I call an appeasement policy vis-a-vis China. Is, this re- is, 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 the, is that the, uh, the, uh, the fair word to use? To describe the president's uh, dealings with China, appeasement, yes. because that's quite big. Yeah, what do you, uh, let me define what you mean by appeasement. Pertains to a policy of a country, you know, extending diplomatic concessions to a country that's bent on expansion, like China. You so, know, what are basically the concessions that the Philippines has extended to China under the Duterte administration? The most important one, of course is the UNCLOS ruling of 2016. I ask about appeasement because uh, the thing that immediately comes to mind is how Germany, <laughs> Nazi Germany, was appeased. By Britain and, and France. Britain and France during, during the, the Munich, yes, yes. That's yeah. a, a, a classic example. And usually what happened with appeasement is that you simply make the aggressive power more aggressive because they say, you know, this state is not resisting me. So I can get what I, uh, I can by applying minimum pressure. So what China has been basically been gaining is, of course, uh, again, I was talking about what, has, what had we basically given up. Number one is uh, putting aside the UNCLOS ruling of 2016. And the other, of course, is our, in a way, our alliance with the United States. But we still have the MDT. Yeah, but uh, the MDT could have been given muscle if the 2014 Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement has, of course, been implemented. But isn't that being implemented? It's not being implemented because the 2014 Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement could have provided for temporary access to American forces in five Philippine Air Force bases. Mm. It has not been implemented. The only thing that has been implemented regarding EDCA is the construction of a, I think, a, uh, a warehouse for uh, uh, for disaster response. Disaster response. The idea then was you will have, of course, American forces here. here in on the a rotational basis. On right? a rotational basis, not only for disaster response, but also in terms of extended deterrence. So this one uh, has been frozen? I think it's never been implemented. But they were able to identify the bases. Five bases, supposed to be. Five Air Force bases. Mactan, Palawan, the one in northern Mindanao. Uh, Florida Blanca and I think Fort Magsaysay. So, so do, do you see any uh, any form? I, I keep asking this during interviews, whether we should also give the the president the president the benefit of the doubt that there might be some form of sophistication in his foreign policy, because others are saying uh, perhaps the president is playing his cards well by playing China and the United States. Uh, not necessarily, uh, because uh, he's really really leaning more towards China. Uh, in a way, uh, the U.S. is really forced to uh, extend some assistance. Not again, uh, primarily because they want they don't want a total tilt to China. So this is something what uh, President Duterte is betting on. Uh, but in the long run, in the long run, uh, and of course this is my concern, by playing one great power against the other, we're putting ourselves right in the middle of this current uh, competition between the United States and China. But, but just to play the devil's advocate, that even without the president playing those two big powers against the other, 
You have no choice. We're caught in the middle. Uh, well, uh, in the case, you know, if we are uh, an ally of the United States, there's no middle because uh, just like Japan, uh, just like Australia, you basically uh, you're not in the middle because you're on the side of the United States. But by playing this game, uh, we are basically, again, putting really ourselves right in the middle of this uh, competition between the United States and, uh, and China. Okay. Now let's talk a bit about geography here um, in relation to the Philippines as dealings with China and the United States. Given our place in the world, as in physically, geographically, why the Philippines is so important both to the United States and China? Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, of course, you have to accept this is something that we have to take into account. China has emerged as the second largest economy in the world. It has developed what it calls its comprehensive capabilities. Now, the goal of China now is maritime expansion. It's a, uh, the best, best evidence here, of course, you look, look at the so-called nine-dash line. China basically claiming 85% of the South China Sea. At the same time, China also has a goal of expanding in the East China Sea. Uh, north of Taiwan. Mm. That's why they're very much interested in the Senkaku uh, or Dayao Islands. Now, the goal Wait. of China is basically to control what you call the waters within the first island chain. Mm. The Philippines is located, you know, there's the southern part ng first island chain. So we are in direct path of Chinese maritime expansion. So they need us. They, need, uh, they want us to be a sort of the wall against the United States Navy to prevent the United States Navy from operating within the first island chain. At the same time, the United States need us. Need us because uh, they want to ensure that the uh, we're part of that first island chain that could prevent China's expansion further into the second island chain, which is, of course, leading to Guam, to the, uh, you know, the uh, blue parts of the Pacific. No. So, uh, yeah, geographically, we're really caught in the middle. And this is not new. This is the same case that happened to us in the 1940s, no? mm-hmm. when you have Japan expanding from the north, going into the uh, East Indies at the onset, of course, of the Pacific War. Mm. Now, so far, given the developments in the South China Sea, of course, the Spratlys and the Parasols, do you think that uh, China has been successful in terms of uh, keeping a close guard of its side of the neighborhood? Yes. So to yes. speak. Yes, basically, uh, pa- uh, it's part of their foreign policy, no? Uh, the, or I would, I would use the term grand strategy. The grand strategy is, of course, called the rejuvenation of the great Chinese nation, mm-hmm. otherwise known as the Chinese dream. So what's the goal of the Chinese dream? Now, as mentioned by President Xi Jinping, Asians should solve Asian problems alone. There should be, we have to push the external powers out of the region, referring, of course, to the United States. Of course, that's nothing new. Nothing new, no? Uh, Even Japan during the Second World War. We call it the great uh, East Asian co-prosperity sphere, that Mm -hmm. uh, you have a imposition of what I would call the Chinese version of the Monroe Doctrine. Mm -hmm. Of course, in the case of the Monroe Doctrine, it was the United States that declared uh, in the early 1800s, no, uh, European power are out, only Americans. Americans will have to determine the destiny of America, but of course, this pertains to the United States. Now it's happening here with China. With China. Now, somehow, isn't that fair? Asians uh, for Asians. Well, that will mean, of course, who'll be on top. <laughs> uh, the one who'll be on top will be China. And that might mean that uh, that will be the end of our ability or our privilege of determining who our friends and allies are. So we will only have one power to reckon with, and that will be China. 
I don't think that will be the inter in the interest of medium and small powers like the Philippines. I don't think that will be in the interest of ASEAN. Of course, they would also ask, how come if you talk about the United States? Th that's also happening. The fact that uh, the, the, the hegemonic tendencies of, uh, of the United States are all over. It's yeah. all over, no? Yeah. Pero kasi, uh, Why complaint when it comes to China? Well, uh, the difference is the United States is not part of the region. And this is what uh, the late Lee Kuan Yew argued when the Cold War ended, when the American bases left the Philippines in 1991. He said, the United States is an external power. It acts as an honest broker and as a strategic offshore balancer. It prevents the region from being dominated by a single power. And it doesn't claim more than 85%. Yeah, it doesn't the claim we don't have, and no Asian country has any territorial dispute with the United States. And you would see how, you know, uh, have to look at the real uh, honest to goodness player of real politic here is Vietnam. Mm -hmm. The Vietnamese fought the Americans from 1965 to 1975, but now the Vietnamese considers, um, and the Vietnamese consider American strategic presence as vital to the region. And they also had clashes with China. Like clashes of course, with they China. also had some, to a certain degree, ideological uh, similarities. But despite that, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Vietnamese believe that they have to maintain the balance of power here. No single power should dominate, especially their big neighbor. Mm -hmm. Now, my question is this. Uh, is the United States and other Western allies doing enough to actually make sure that China won't get its way in this, uh, in this part of the world? Well, you have to understand the United States is not just a uh, power in the Indo-Pacific. It's a global power. It has other concerns. It has concerns in Western Europe, Central Europe. Russia. Russia. So uh, it's one of the concerns... But it will not be, the, you know, uh, unless, of course, you have a shooting war happening here, where, of course, Asia will be the, uh, the Indo-Pacific region will be the primary concern. So at this point in time, uh, it has shown its concern. It has uh, come, uh, of course, President Trump visited the Philippines in 2000, ASEAN in 2017, although recently, of course, he was absent from the uh, summit in Thailand. Uh, but you have uh, what I would call at least the bureaucratic concern, the defense and the State Department, the National Security Council are focused here, not so much the White House. Mm -hmm. I remember during the time of uh, President Obama, there was a so-called pivot to Asia. And the concern afterward was that whether that uh, so-called policy, the pivot to Asia, would continue under President Donald Trump. But in reality, it seems that they are continuing that. Under the what they call the free and, uh, free and open Indo-Pacific. Yeah, but without necessarily uh, Trump talking about it all the oh, time yeah, or well, using the word pivot. Pivot, uh, yes, because... Uh, he hates everything that's related with President Obama. Mm -hmm. so, but it, at least the notion of the free and open Indo-Pacific is an indication that, you know, they have still their strategic concerns here in the Indo-Pacific region. That's why they even changed the term. They're not anymore using the Asia-Pacific. They're now using Indo -Pacific. the term Indo-Pacific, mm -hmm. which means that the United States is now part of the region. Mm -hmm. Now, help us, help us understand this. You mentioned earlier... Uh, the 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 concern that there might be shooting war. Of course, no one likes that. Yes. But in the meantime, is China getting its way? Because uh, if no one is actually accosting a Chinese vessel or preventing China from building military installations further in those reclaimed islands, the question is, how do you stop China from doing that? Well, uh, in terms of you know, when you talk about peacetime occupying those islands, those are very symbolic. Symbolic. But once you have, of course, you know. God forbids, you know, a shooting war, 
those militarized islands will be sit are sitting ducks for uh, the uh, highly uh, mobile American uh, carrier battle groups. Hmm. There's, there's stationary targets. So that might be useful for peacetime symbolism, but not in actual war. They can be targets of American cruise missiles coming from American ballistic, submar uh, from, uh, ballistic uh, submarines. But in the meantime, China is getting its way. It's uh, harassing, for example, aircraft. in particular, Philippine vessels. That, uh, yeah, the Liberian. That's the first time that a Chinese Coast Guard vessel harassed a civilian, uh, civilian-commercial vessel in the uh, South China Sea. So, so what are the options available for, let's say, not just the Philippines, because we know that uh, we know about the policy of President Duterte, but let's say you are the United States. How do you make sure that somehow you would minimize China's expansionism in the South China Sea. We know the FinOps, diba. Right? Uh -huh. Pero what else can we do? Well, you have, of course, the now the active involvement of Japan. Japan is also looking at the South China Sea as important area of operation. Uh, then, of course, you have Australia also trying looking north. Then you have India also moving in. That's why the Quad, the Quad, the formation of the Quadrilateral Security uh, Dialogue, which is not yet an alliance. It's more of a forum for these four great powers to discuss what's happening in the region with, uh, with anything, of course, uh, developments that have something to do with China. But of course, ASEAN is very much concerned about the Quad. Mm -hmm. So again, we're caught in the middle of this uh, great power competition or great game. I use the term great game. Somehow, this is how I see it. It's like uh, a neighbor, a wealthy neighbor, putting up a checkpoint in your village, but the other wealthy neighbors are ignoring that checkpoint. But it's also affecting the movement. Move not yet. Well, yeah. Once the uh, Chinese really starts, uh, ch China starts harassing even civilian commercial vessels, then that will be a signal. And of course, if China will declare an air defense identification zone in the South China Sea, do you think it's only a matter of time before they declare an Addis here? Uh, uh, I, simply, I don't know. Uh, your guess is as good as, because as they, mine. They, they tried that before. They tried it. Uh, if I'm not Justice Carpio mentioned that China might be in, might be building a military structure on Scarborough Shoal. I think what he mentioned was uh, naval and aerial, right? Yeah, once once probably you have Scarborough Shoal being built in the artificial island and with the Chinese fortification, then that will complete what you call the triangle. You know, uh, one pointing north, pointing towards Hainan Island then start uh, pointing into jo uh, Johnson Shoal near Sarawak. That will complete the triangle, the strategic the triangle. triangle, and then China would declare an air defense identification zone in the South China Sea, and probably even declare that the South China Sea is China's territorial waters. The, the triangle, I think uh, Ch uh, the Tokyo already expressed concern about yes, that yes. several years back. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned the peacetime uh, movements or developments in the South China Sea. Now, how do you make sure that China won't get uh, what it wants there under a peacetime regime? Uh, again, please? For example, it's a peacetime regime. And unless we, we, uh, we oh. go in a full-scale sh uh, shooting war, of course, we can prevent them. When I say we, the United States, okay. <laughs> we're the Philippines, not just the Philippines. Oh, I, I'm already removing the Philippines from this equation with a, given our current administration. Okay, of course, the easiest way. Uh, I uh, think the administration basically indicated that uh, we're an ally of the United States, but if push comes to shove in the South China Sea, 
you know, uh, we will declare our neutrality. <laughs> but you have the mutual defense treaty. How is that yeah, possible? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the case. That's how we look at uh, the mutual defense treaty. Uh, uh, we have a uh, incident with China, then we drag in the Americans. If the Americans are, you know, are put on the spot vis-a-vis -vis the Chinese, then we will declare our neutrality. That's how reliable we are as an American ally under the Duterte administration. Yeah. Yeah, going back to my question, under a peacetime regime, of course, China can somehow has been doing this unless we have a shooting war. How do you prevent them? Well, uh, of course, the effort being made by our president is to push for the ASEAN-China Code of Conduct. So hopefully the Code of Conduct would, uh, what's the term for this, uh, inculturate China into the habits of the ASEAN countries of trying to basically uh, consult each other, operate on the basis of consensus, and uh, basically set aside the idea of use of force in dealing with disputes. I don't think that will happen very soon. I think or the problem there is that uh, <laughs> it's working against the interests of ASEAN, in particular the claimant countries. Yes, because uh, ASEAN is simply given a role of conflict management, not of conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. Because the Chinese position is that, uh, yeah, ASEAN is useful to prevent the escalation of the conflict, but ASEAN should never play a role in resolving that dispute because it will always be between China and the claimant state, Philippines, Brunei, Malaysia, and Vietnam. And I think that was a strategy that China had been uh, wanting mm -hmm. uh, prior to this, to this administration, the bilateral engagement individually mm -hmm. with the claimant countries. Plus, of course, another component of the uh, code of conduct that China wants ASEAN to sign is, of course, that the issue, the South China Sea dispute, will be simply a matter between China and ASEAN. Other stakeholders should be out of the game, so like Japan and, of course, the United States. So, so what kind of uh, what kind of uh, COC document are you seeing, well, given so that objective by China? That will basically give China the uh, what I call the strategic initiative in the region. Basically, China would be the primary uh, guarantor of stability in the South China Sea. Because the other powers are out of the equation, so, so you also see the imbalance that you have this uh, big power negotiating with uh, with the ten member ASEAN, and not all of them are actually uh, claimant countries. And of course, a number of them are very friendly to China, like for example, Cambodia, Laos, Laos, Myanmar, uh, the Philippines. Now, now the Philippines are uh, competing with Cambodia. <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, Laos, Myanmar. I think they call Cambodia, it. Yeah. I think they call it uh, uh, the, the so-called China block. And China block. Yeah. Friend, those ASEAN. countries friendly to China. So uh, I think one suggestion is that for ASEAN to actually not negotiate as one, mm -hmm. but to only allow those uh, actual claimants to to craft a COC with China. Yeah, that was uh, that's uh, the that, idea raised by uh, Justice Carpio. Yeah, that's would that be a good option? Yeah, but the problem is again, uh, if that will be put into both within ASEAN, then uh, definitely, of course, the continental countries would say, you know, we're still part of ASEAN. We have to have a say regarding an issue wherein uh, ASEAN is involved, and that's the South China Sea. Uh, what Justice Carpio is probably thinking is this four countries, you know, that, are, of course, claimants uh, would have to negotiate among themselves and out of, you know, out of the context of ASEAN. You have Brunei, you have Malaysia, you have Vietnam, you have the Philippines. That nearly happened a couple of years ago, except one country did not uh, attend the meeting. 
rich country. I think it's Brunei. It's Brunei. Ah, okay. This it's also a claimant. Yeah. Now, another question here. Of course, we know the claimant countries among ASEAN, with China, of course, but people tend to ignore Taiwan. Oh, <laughs> that's out. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, we know geopolitically mm. they're they're out. But I mean, can we also afford to ignore the concerns of Taiwan, given the strong alliance also of Taiwan? Well, uh, that's an indication that China is basically calling the shots in the South China Sea. Uh, from the Chinese, you know, Taiwan is a province of China. Yeah, but that, that, that of course, is position. And no ASEAN country would ever challenge that. Not even Singapore. Yeah, because we have this one China policy. But I mean, let's say we successfully negotiate the COC between ASEAN as one regional bloc with China. Whether you like it or not, you still have Taiwan. Yeah, that, that, but yeah, the, again, uh, ASEAN would share China's uh, notion no, that Taiwan is simply a province of China. Uh, that's how, you know, basically that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the ASEAN member states, the stability in the South China Sea is very much dependent on what China would say, simply because China is the biggest power in the bloc. And of course, there, most of the ASEAN countries' economies are now linked with China. And uh, we are a top trading partner of China. So again, this is something you have to consider. If you irritate China, you irritate your largest, tra- the most important trading partner, your most important banker, and most important donor of official development assistance. Okay. Now, before we end this podcast, I'd like to ask about uh, a major concern also by a lot of people the so-called irreversible damage that uh, might have been committed or that has already happened mm-hmm. under the strategy of what you call appeasement by, by, by the president. Mm-hmm. Because we know for a fact that uh, his term ends in 2022. Mm-hmm. And what if the next president decides to somehow reverse course or to tweak it or to recalibrate the strategy? What about the so-called irreversible damage? I think it will be our level of economic interdependence with China. I still remember during the previous administration, especially after China refused to allow the entry of Philippine bananas in 2012 in the light of the Scarborough Shoal uh, impasse, the, the previous administration realized if we want to maintain an independent foreign policy, we have to minimize or prevent the possibility that our economy will be dependent on China. Of course, the policy of this current administration is not only to adopt an appeasement policy, it's to make sure our economy becomes dependent on China. In terms number one, of course, looking at the Belt and Road Initiative, in terms of trade, and more importantly, the presence of Philippine online gaming operation. The POGOs. The POGOs. So in a way, uh, a lot of people, you know, in a way, you have already a lot of stakeholders here in the Philippines, those who own real estates, uh, construction companies, even 7-Eleven, so forth, who see that you know uh, their businesses are very much dependent on the presence of 250,000 Chinese workers here. So that basically effectively made our economy linked with the Chinese economy. Independent. Independent. So eventually, we're becoming economically dependent on China. That is something that will be very difficult to reverse. That is something that the new, you know, just in case the new administration in 2022 would decide basically to adopt a more independent policy vis-a-vis China, but then you will have to consider the fact that our economy is now closely linked with the Chinese economy. 
you know the fact uh, that how you use the word independence uh, sounded funny <laughs> independent foreign policy com- with china or well uh, you independent have- foreign policy with the united states i mean with the way the the policy has been crafted or implemented under this administration we tend to somehow put certain shades and hues. Why do we use that term? Yeah, we cannot anymore. Uh, after 2022, we cannot really enjoy that degree of autonomy vis-a-vis China because, again, we have uh, st- you know a lot of people here that have a very important stake in maintaining that close economic relations with China. Okay. Professor Renato De Castro, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Again, thank uh, Again, my pleasure and honor to be given a chance to express my views and insights regarding this very important matter. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this week's episode. Catch us again next week for another edition of the Matters of Fact podcast. Music